This piece was brought to you by Roberta's. Roberta'spizza.com. Good evening and welcome to Fomentathon on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. I'm Rachel Jacobs. I'm Mary Isaac. And I'm Chris Kuzmi. And we're your co-hosts through this weekly journey of all things fermenting. Found everywhere great podcasts are found, especially right here on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. We're in the back of Fifth Hammer Brewing Company, um, the brewery that Chris and I own with our partner Dave. Anyway, and we are sitting at a table in front of a whole bunch of amazing looking and smelling cheese, as well as six Fifth Hammer beers. So we're doing a special beer and cheese pairing show with Alexa Wilkinson. Hey. Hi, how's it going? So tell us what you do now that's related to cheese. So right now I work at Murray's Cheese in the wholesale department. Um, Basically what that means is I work with chefs all over the city, all over the country even, and I help develop their cheese menus, their cheese programs, even talk about their cooking cheeses. Um, I help bring consistency and seasonality to their menu, and it's really fun to do that every single day. (laughs) Oh, no. (laughs) All right, well, uh, so... Before we get started tasting these cheeses, can you tell us a little bit about your background, about how you got into cheese? Uh, yeah, so that's that's a long story, but you know we have time. <laughs> we got beer and cheese. We got time. Um, so actually, I started when I moved to New York. I I was a starving artist, and I was touring and playing music, and I needed a job. Um, and my friend Anne Becerra, who actually was roommates with the friend I worked with, got me a job at the Ginger Man because she told me how to like fill out the application correctly. (laughs) I didn't know who Michael Jackson was in terms of the beer world. I didn't even know the difference between ale and a lager. I had to research all that for my second interview. Um, When I started working at the Ginger Man, I just kind of fell in love with the food service industry. I loved that every night felt like a show. It felt like I was making someone's night by giving them a really good beer and a really good like cheese platter. I just really enjoyed it. So I became a chef. And after that, um, I worked all around the city for a lot of craft beer centric restaurants. I was a food director for one. Um, I really, really enjoyed it, but the chef life is really hard. And, you know, I didn't want to spend all my time in the kitchen. So I decided, hey, why not go for the, uh, another fermented thing I really love, which is cheese. So I saw Murray's was hiring. I took a shot in the dark. It took three months to hire me. And then I finally got the job, I think because I said I love a poisse in my interview, <laughs> which is like a stinky French cheese. It's super oozy. Um, but that is my cry in the walk-in cheese. So that's how I started to work at Murray's. And through the course of working, I just fell in love with everything. I've learned so much. I love teaching classes. I love talking about this. And I especially love down to my roots pairing cheese with beer. That's pretty awesome. Should we, uh, should we start this pairing then? All right. Uh, let's start with the first cheese that you're gonna you're about to um, give us to pair. So tell us a little bit about the cheese, why you chose to bring it today, and then we'll talk a little bit about what we're pairing it with. Cool. So I'm actually gonna start off with it's called Latour. It's an Italian cheese from Piedmont. So this cheese is actually a Robiola style. Um, if you notice, I know for the people at home you can't see the cheese, but um, it's a very wrinkly white rind and a smidge of it is oozing out it's really creamy super oozy and if you were to smell it you would smell really like creamy lactic notes doesn't have a lot of smell to it because it's a pretty fresh cheese Um, but you want to start off when you're doing any sort of pairing going from mild to wild so we don't want to blow out your palate with a blue cheese right off the bat even though it might be really good with some other fruit beer or lighter beer Um, i want to start you off with robiola because it pairs really well with anything that's like cava-esque or champagne-like 
all the way down to like sour jammy beers. So I wanted to start off with this particular cheese because it just goes so well. Um, it's actually a mixed milk cheese. It's sheep, goat, and cow, meaning that it's gonna have a lot of fat, a lot of decadent buttery notes. It's gonna be really rich. It's gonna go very well as a dessert and or a savory cheese. Um, this is actually a cheese that you could probably just stick a candle in and eat it as like a cake replacement. We call the cheesecake of cheese. Um, so I wanted to start this off uh, so we can like get off on a really cool like high-end bougie note when it comes to our pairings today. You called it a particular style of cheese? What, what is that? So there's a bunch of different um, styles when it comes to fresher cheeses. A Robiola style is an, a particular Italian style. It's going to be oozy very quickly and age and ripen very quickly. How quickly is quickly? And what is the average for ripening <laughs> of, of a cheese? For this particular cheese, it's about five weeks, I would say. Um, it's going to spend two weeks out of its life drying at first, and then it's going to start to, the mold will start to take over the surface. It'll get all wrinkly like that. That's actually geotrichum, um, which is a particular mold spore, um, which acts like yeast, actually. Um, and it breaks down the proteins in the cheese a lot quicker. Um, what's actually happening when cheese breaks down is lactose, which is milk sugar, which brewers use constantly because it makes beer creamy and frothy and have a nice mouthfeel to it. Um, it's actually being converted into lactic acid, so it's a controlled spoilage of cheese. So it takes about five weeks for this to break down and become oozy like that. But the inner paste is going to be a little bit chalkier and a little bit harder. What are some other cheeses? So we're just talking about in general pairing. What are some? This is pretty widely available, though, right? Would you would, say? Yeah, I would say like at Whole Foods or any other high-end uh, cheese purveyor. Um, probably not at your local grocery store unless you're really lucky. Um, but yeah, this is pretty widely available. You can probably get it online anywhere. You can actually buy it on Amazon, I think. And then what would the other cheeses that would be similar to this be? Like in the you know, if people are looking, because I think actually this would be a great. Uh, this would be a very cool cheese menu to do for a beer and cheese pairing or even a party. So what would be another cheese that would maybe be similar if people were looking to pair with what we're about to pair this with? Um, so that's a good question. Anything that's going to be like a uh, cave-aged goat cheese might be very similar. It's not going to be, they're going to be a little more goaty, a little more like animally tasting, um, but like Cremant, uh, Seltzer Share, things like that. Um, Vermont Creamery does a lot of really beautiful French cave-aged goat's cheeses and styles, um, which are very similar to ones like from the Loire Valley. So if you wanted to get something that was similar, that would be it. Um, but there aren't a lot of places, this is specifically an Italian cheese, um, maybe like Robiola Bocina, um, Kunic, which is actually local, it's from Nettle Meadow, Nettle Meadow, I can't say that, it's a double L thing. <laughs> it sounds like a child when I'm saying it. Um, but anything that's gonna be like a triple cream, something as oozy, um, really rich and decadent, anything like that would be very similar. Chris and Mary, what are we pairing this with? What's this Fifth Hammer beer? This Fifth Hammer beer is a kettle sour, um, and it's called the Poglodite. Uh, we added passion fruit, blood orange, and guava to a, basically a Berliner Weiss uh, quick sour. 50% uh, pills, 50% wheat, um, actually some oats, 50% uh, a combination of wheat and oats. Um, and we added the passion fruit, blood orange and mango, or blood orange and guava after fermentation. So it still has a lot of the sweetness uh, left, but it dances with the acid. With the acid. Nice. Yeah, it yeah. looks like ice cream. It, it actually, it's like, it's like, it's like the cheesecake of ice, of uh, no, cheese. The cheesecake ice cream cheesecake. cheesecake. Oh my God, it's so soft. This is, so this in particular is a pretty fruit forward kettle sour, I would say. But I think this would work really well even with a drier like a, any almost any kind of kettle sour because yeah. it has that clean lack like the clean lactic character of the 
of the uh, sour just works really well. So yeah. Well, I would say that um, if you have any super fatty cheese, anything with a high acid content to it, or anything with bubbles, will help cut that down. So this is a perfect combination of a great, great beer to pair with this cheese. Um, I would say another. So like I so my. Um, one of my favorite intro sours is like Peekskill Simple Sour because it's very peachy, very apricot. It's very easy and drinkable. There's even like nice like feta watermelon notes to it. I don't know why I always get that like taste evoked out of that. Um, but any like intro sour beer would be really good. I don't think anything too like upfront and like crazy acidic would go very well because if you're getting into like lambic territory, it can either be like super fruit forward and it just drowns out the cheese or it's like so acidic that you're just losing everything else. Like, this makes me think like the dogfish head sea, what's it called, sea quench? Sea yeah. yeah, like that would probably go really well. That's available pretty widely. But if you go to your, a lot of breweries are doing kettle sours. They might be calling them straight up kettle sours. They might be calling them Berliner Weiss, even a Gosa maybe that wasn't too salt forward. Yeah, like a classic Leipziger Goza would be very good with this. And having also that little bit of salt in it as well. Like this cheese is salty, but it's not as salty as some of the other ones we're gonna taste. So having that addition of salt might actually bring out more sweetness in the cheese. Yeah. And I just had a the Avery Gosa yeah. with the bitter melon actually yeah. I had at a bar not too long ago and that would be excellent with this. So just thinking of, you know, beers, if you would like to set up a beer and cheese pairing at home, you know, you probably have a local craft brewery near you that's making a kettle sour, but otherwise there's a lot more that are commercially available. Or maybe not a straight kettle sour, but something that's very similar. Maybe jammy too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right, so next cheese. Next cheese, yeah. Next cheese. Okay, so next we're gonna cheese. go for the Marie's Double Cream Brie. This is a French brie. Um, kind of the similar way that we talk about um, like doubles and triples in beer. Um, obviously, historically speaking, that was because they didn't know how to take ABV. They just knew it was like double as strong as the last beer that they made. Um, I think the double. <laughs> I have contention with that. So there's a lot of different, there are a lot of different thoughts on that for the old Belgian uh, Belgian styles. It's not always necessarily double as strong. Uh, some people think that actually that came from the, the single, the double, the triple, the, the quadruple came from uh, the way the monks used to keep track of their kegs and the beer that they, yeah. they did. They would put one one slash for the singles, they'd put two slash for the doubles, they'd put three slashes for, for the things so they could differentiate the kegs. But nobody really nobody knows. Nobody really knows. But, but we do magic. know that it's not exactly <laughs> double as strong, and we know that it's not triple as strong and quadruple yeah. as strong. But that's what I tell people in my beer class. Okay, good, so. okay, good, okay. Well, the thing is, it could be because if they were making, like, a table beer, right, then the double would might have been twice as strong. And then they were like, oh, well, now we're making this this new style of beer, and we call that one a double, so let's just call this one a triple because why not? I mean, anyway, maybe. Maybe. We don't know, Chris. Yes. We'll never know. I think Bigfoot did it. <laughs> cool. Well, back to cheese. <laughs> that wasn't cheesy enough. Back hey, to oh. brie. <laughs> back to cheesy things. Um, so this is a double cream brie. And what double implies is that um, there's a particular amount of fat matter that has to be in this cheese for it to be called a double. The same thing with the triple cream. Um, so the percentage-wise, I'm not super clear, but there is a, I think it's like 65% fat matter. Um, and when I say fat, I mean of the solids that are in the cheese, 65% of that has to be fat solids. So this is gonna be like buttery and mushroomy and like a very classic brie but it's also gonna be like really yeasty tasting, kind of like like cauliflower, roasted cauliflower, vegetal, mushroom, but like with a hint of sourdough baguette, which I really love about it. 
Um, yeah, and what do you pair with this usually? So this one, you would probably pair with something on the more mellow side. A Pilsner would be really nice because you want to get some of those more nuanced malt notes, maybe some sweetness. Um, anything too alcoholic, anything too hoppy is just going to kind of overpower this cheese. This is really mellow, good starter cheese, good like if you're having an intro to cheese party at your house, this is a really good one. It's very like party friendly. Yeah. Um, and if it stays out at room temperature for a while, it can get a little bit on the oozy side. This one maintains its shape a little bit better so it can be out on like a catering platter, out at home if you're having like a Thanksgiving or Christmas party, something like that. And brie is a pretty is more common. I know that the quality can vary. I'm sure, depending, but it is a more common cheese to find at your local grocery store, depending where you are. Absolutely, yeah. It's um, it's just one of those cheeses that it's not super hard to make. It's one of, it's another cheese that the sh because the aging is not as long. It's only about a month, um, or maybe even two months, depending on the style. That it's the cheesemaker can turn that cheese out pretty quickly, and it's like a money maker. It's like um, it's like the flagship, like the flagship. Yeah, <laughs> you want to turn that out. Very quickly. So they can be, you know, bolder in flavor, less bold in flavor. What are you looking for in a quality brie? I mean, they, I feel like they they vary widely by way of. Um, well, a good indication of a quality brie has rack um, marks on it. So this one has been padded down oh. very nicely. It has a nice, even, thick rind. But if you look at it, you can see hints of where it's been flipped. So that indicates that the cheesemaker spent time um, with the art of affinage, which is the art of cheesemaking, the art of cave aging cheeses, um, to take the time to pat the mold down, flip it, inspect it, really take care of it. A lot of uh, commercial brees and like camemberts are sprayed with mold on the outside so that they develop much quicker and that they can turn them around even quicker. Um, those, those won't really have a lot of rack marks on them, but on this one you can see that. We actually get this from a purveyor a cheesemaker that has been making this for a very, very long time. Um, and we specifically chose this cheese because of its quality, because of its, you know, its flavor profile. We know that it's a very friendly cheese for everybody to eat, so that's why we So while you guys have been talking, I've been tasting. <laughs> and I have to say, this is a really good pairing. So Chris and I have done beer and cheese pairings in the past. Um, but I don't think we've ever paired a brie with a Pilsner. I always feel like, because I think, because you're right, even though brie is super approachable, it still is, um, it still is, I don't know, I've always kind of, yeah, assertive, but, yeah. but man, it works really well with the Pilsner. So we're drinking this with our neighbor Brow Pils, which is kind of the one beer that we always have on at Fifth Hammer, but Pilsners now are pretty widely available, um, and a lot more small craft breweries are making them as well. Pilsners are a little more challenging because they are a lager, they take longer, so you have to lager them. Um, I... I seem to be one of the only ones here eating the rind. Uh, is it bad if you eat the mold on a brie? Because I always do. No. So all rinds are edible. Not all are palatable. Um, I just, I know what this rind tastes like. I don't need to eat it. Um, I'm not, and I, anyone listening that works with me, I'm very sorry that I'm saying this again out loud. I, I don't particularly like eating rinds. I'm just not a fan of it. Um, but I always encourage people to nibble on a rind because when cheese ripens, it's typically surface ripening, which means it ripens obviously from the outside in. And on the surface, you're going to get different flavors because it's concentrated and it's just going to be a lot more like mushroomy and earthy. And then when you get more towards the paste, it's going to be a little more buttery and decadent. And you're going to get all these mushroom notes because 
a byproduct of cheese aging, especially with this particular mold style, is that like mushroom alcohol. And that's where you get like those cauliflower, like roasted vegetable notes from it. And they're really gorgeous to try. And having a spectrum of flavors is wonderful. And that's what makes cheese so great. Um, I just don't like rinds that much. <laughs> I'm a proud rind nibbler. Good. I'm proud of you. <laughs> it's very contentious with some people, though, right? I've read some articles about rind versus no rind. Yeah. Actually, I think I once went to a, a pairing. I believe it was also Murray's Cheese where the rind was literally hay and everyone in the room was like, are we supposed to eat this? But like it, it added more depth to it if you did. Yeah, certainly. I'd say always nibble on a rind. You don't have to eat the whole rind. It's okay if you don't eat it. It's your party <laughs> in your mouth. Anyway, more breweries are making pilsners or nice lagers that are very smooth. Um, what else would you typically pair a brie with? Um, very light flavored, um, lighter bodied. What Maybe like a blonde ale? Blonde ale would be nice. A wheat ale would be really nice. Um, we, d we already talked about Leipziger Goza, but I think it would still go well with this. Um, nothing too sour, nothing too hoppy. Um, you want, this is kind of one you want to do like with like with. I even think like a malty or amber ale might be very nice with it. Might bring out even more of like the yeasty buttery notes. Um, just anything like what would you have for breakfast? What beer would you have for breakfast? Should I ask Chris this question ever? <laughs> well, the only reason I'm eating breakfast is I'm still awake. Wait. Hey, 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 hey. That's not, that's, that's a lie, actually. I love breakfast all, all the time today. I, for, I, I think, uh, you know, Belgian Wits uh, and, and Hefeweizens are great at yeah. breakfast time. And I think those are, those are, like, really great things. And they, they do grow great with brie, yeah. the brie as well, for, for sure, that soft action. I like wheat beers with eggs. Uh, one of my favorite pairings ever, and kind of one of the things that really got my first wow moment with pairing pairing food with beer was when Garrett Oliver made a, a gr grilled green apple and brie omelet mm. and paired it with the Brooklyn Blanche. Mm. And that was my first, like, wow. So that was a wheat beer made with, like, brie and eggs. No, we, it, the beer wasn't made with brie and eggs, but <laughs> paired with the brie and eggs, and it was just awesome. Wait, it was an omelet with yeah, yeah, because I was like, in the green apple, the tanginess kind of really tangy, and green apple yeah. would be awesome. tangy. You might be onto something with eggs in your beer. It's yeah, a clarifier. Yeah, it, well, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you could do like a consommé ale. There we go. I mean, there we go. <laughs> eggs are excellent in cocktails. Mary and I See? did drink a beer with a quail egg in it. Yeah. I think we're on Who made that? That was a Brooklyn that Brew Shop. With the Brew Dog guys yeah, with the for brew that dog. television show. Yeah, it was. That was kind of a surreal moment because we're on like <laughs> this roof, a roof. <laughs> in, we're in a roof of of a apartment building in downtown Brooklyn. They were filming us for one of the Brew Dog episodes, and we're drinking this beer that had like a quail egg. It was. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, I don't know. Interesting. Yeah. The whole thing. Let's was, get some cheese in the mix on that one. Yeah. Be a wacky little meal. Um, Cool, next cheese. It's actually one of my favorite, favorite cheeses of all time. So this is made it sheep into rustler. Slices. This is a rind I would eat. This is a rind I will eat. So this is a beautiful sheep's milk cheese. It's a raw sheep's milk cheese. It's from Somerset, England from White Lake Dairy. The, the rind on this is gorgeous. Um, for those who cannot see it, it's got these beautiful yellow and white mold spots. On occasion, it will have these gorgeous orange hues as well. Those are really delicious molds. Um, if you see those, you're gonna probably get some like nutty sweet notes, like almost like lightly salted pistachios or cashews. Um, and this cheese is fantastic, really buttery. I would pair this maybe with like a session ale, something that has a little bit of a hop to it, maybe a little bit of a 
a funk as well. This is definitely one of those cheeses Snacker. that I would snack on every day. This yeah. is my Saturday cheese. Um, it's something we, we like to say in the in the cheese world, like what's your Saturday cheese? Like if you if no one is around looking at you and you don't have to be like pretentious and have a meeting with a big chef or like a huge restaurant group and like what are you gonna eat at home? For me it's this. I know this is a little bit on the expensive side, but this is so snackable. This goes well with pretty much everything. Um, but I really love this with like funkier beers, saison, session ales that have a little more of a, of a malt characteristic to them. Um, anything that's gonna go well with like barnyardy flavors, but like more on the buttery, minerally side of life. Um, so you guys wanna? What's your go-to pretentious cheese? Oh, oh good pretentious cheese. Um, I think like Comte is like what we would all like to be our weekend cheese, because Comte is amazing. It's sweet, it's not super like powerful, and you can snack on it all day long. It's really good for melting, you can use it for many different things. It makes a really expensive grilled cheese. But like just to say Comte is, you know, it just sounds a little on the, the bougie side. Um, but Comte is an Alpine French cheese, so it's gonna be like nutty and sweet. Um, it's typically aged for about a year. They're huge, huge, giant wheels, um, but it's delicious. It's just not as not as salty as the other cheeses. So this beer is called Savvy Sea Mare. Mary made this beer. It's a slightly hoppy session ale, but it has a malt backbone to it. Mm -hmm. It's a decent amount of oats in this, actually. Oats and Pilsner and, and two row. What were the hops on this one? I forget right now. It was citrus coming through with Ooh. the beer. It was Laurel and Cascade, oh, yeah. wasn't it? Laurel, yeah. <clears throat> yeah. And session ales are pretty popular right now. I, think, I feel like they're starting to have a moment. I think so. I think they had a moment a while ago, but then they weren't really sessions. You know? We were like, oh, here's a 7% session ale. And you're like, that doesn't make sense. <laughs> but I appreciate the ones that are. And then what would other cheeses like be similar to this that might be more accessible? So a lot of sheep's milk cheeses will come from like England and or France just because they're, they've been making cheese for so long. Um, also, Arati and like Pierre Nibrabi um, are going to be really good sheep's milk cheeses, aged sheep's milk cheeses. This is a younger sheep's milk cheese, um, but like Pierre Nibrabi would be a pretty accessible cheese to find. It's not that hard, especially like maybe like more of a farmstead grocery store, like Whole Foods, Adams, stuff like that. And with that, we're going to take a short break. Feel mad about it. My name is Brandon Boy, co-owner of Roberta's a super duper awesome place. Roberta's is a very, 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 very proud sponsor of the Heritage Radio Network. We're also super awesome. Thank you, Heritage. All right, welcome back to Foment About It. So here we're here in the back of Fifth Hammer, pre-recording an episode uh, with Alexa Wilkinson of Murray's Cheese, and she is, we're talking about the world of beer and cheese pairing, and she's giving specific recommendations, and a lot of really useful knowledge about cheese. I'm trying, doing my best. <laughs> so what's our next cheese? So we're actually gonna go with Project X. Um, I really love this cheese. We actually make, uh, we age this in our own caves, so this is a Murray's cave-aged cheese that is washed with Finger Lakes Gewürztraminer and fennel pollen. So it's going to be nice and herbal. This what is going to go. What was that word? Gewürztraminer. It's, it's, it's a wine. A wine. Yeah. A white wine. It is a German-style white wine. Oh my 
God. But so the way that we, um, it's harder to do this with like softer, oozier cheeses, but when we talk about tasting cheese, we like to kind of reference like wine tasting almost because when you cut the cheese and it sits out for a little bit, it's actually gonna dry out and the surface of the cheese is not gonna give as much aroma. So for this one, if you guys wanna like bend it and break it open a little bit, and give it a little smell on the inside. We're gonna do the, the proper taste. Mm. Got a really beautiful, like almost like brown butter quality to it. Going with a really wonderful, like just middle of the road, like really friendly IPA would be really good with this. Something with maybe like an East Coast hop. I don't know if you guys are using oh, that. So we have, I brought our Brute IPA. Cool. Let's try that. What, uh, what hop profile is in this? What hop varietal? It's dry hopped with uh, Mandarin of Bavaria, which is... That's uh, not middle of the road. <laughs> not, not middle of the road. No, these uh, fruitier. It's like hopped like a New England IPA. Okay. Uh, but it's crisp and and clean and a high carbonation level, mm. um, which is why we call it a Brute IPA. I think and this it's will a work. thin body, so it'll cut through the fatness of the cheese. But I feel, well, yeah, but I feel like it's got a little bit of, like, fruity sweetness mm -hmm. that I thought would pair nicely with cheese. Ooh, this works really well. I like it. I like it because it's bringing out the fennel. And I really, really love that about this cheese. And if you eat the rind, you're gonna get more of it, but I feel like it's so nuanced but when you pair it with the right beverage, you can really get those fennel notes, which I think are really what makes this cheese so special. Now, where are Murray's Cheese Caves uh, located? In Long Island City, actually. Oh, wow. We are your neighbors. Oh, wow. <laughs> God. And what's cool about what we're doing is experimenting a lot. We get green wheels, which means like fresh, unaged wheels from other creameries. And we're kind of putting our own spin on it. Uh, we named it Project X because we just couldn't come up with a name for it. And when we first started in Project X, just stuck. Um, but yeah, we get this from Springbrook, which is actually pretty local. Um, it's up in Vermont. Anything that's, um, any cheese that's on the East Coast is considered local, um, just because creameries are not easy to like have in the city. I can't, you know, even New Jersey is local, Pennsylvania is local, um, Vermont we call local, but, um, this is a really good collaboration with Springbrook Farm and we get this wheel green and then we apply our own wash to it. Um, they don't wash it too often uh, because as you can see, it's not like a wet sticky cheese like that one, uh, the Willoughby is that we're gonna try in a little bit. It's only washed to kind of keep it moist and to keep it from cracking, but it does apply a little bit of yeast to it. So you're gonna get more like sourdough, bready brioche notes with this particular cheese. But. I'm just really excited about this because it's gone through a lot of different changes. It didn't work in certain rooms. It was in a wash drying room for a while, got a little too funky, aged too quickly. PJ, our cave master, puts it in the Alpine room, which is a gorgeous like cheese sauna is what I like to call it. Um, and it sits there in like a little bit lower humidity, a little bit lower temperature, ages really nicely on these like beautiful spruce racks for a very long time. Just a really gorgeous cheese. And uh, what are cheeses that are similar to this that we might be able to find? Although, or is there nothing like it? <laughs> I would say no, there's nothing else like it. No, there's some younger, um, like semi-firm cow's milk cheeses. I would actually say if you ever have a chance to try Winecast Le Grain, um, just with the paste and like 
the texture and that kind of full-bodied, like buttery mouthfeel on it, that would be very similar. But vine case is going to be very like salami-y. It's also washed in wine, but it's actually soaked in Lagrayan wine with like garlic and peppercorns and spices. So it's going to be really salami, like meaty tasting. But I would say if you're going to go with Project X, maybe try for like that cheese. Try something else that's like washed in wine and has a little bit more of a, a softer paste to it. Nice and melty. All right, what's next? There's still a lot of, there's still four cheeses directly in front oh, of me. Yeah. I'm, I'm looking at that real uh, gooey looking Let's one. Let's do the gooey one. Oh. We're gonna go for the washed rind. So this is a Jasper Hill Willoughby. This is one of my favorite washed rind cheeses. It's falling apart. Yeah, yeah it is super it. oozy. Get a fork. I'm a sucker for Jasper Hill. Yeah. Jasper Hill is great stuff. So this is gonna go really well with a very classic Belgian double. Yeah, so this cheese, they wash the Willoughby in a couple of different things. They do special edition Willoughby's often. Um, I believe this one is just washed in a very like easy, very easy like salt brine solution. So it's gonna be salty, meaty, fudgy, bacony. So monks used to, still do, make washed brine cheeses. Um, the romantic story behind it is that you know, you have a monk who's trucking along, making cheese, sees a little bit of mold, doesn't think that's clean, washes it with his like beer solution because he's sanitizing everything with that. Comes back a couple of days, sees the mold again, washes it again, re rinse and repeat, right? So then kind of the name of the game is back in the day they ate it anyway. And so they ate it anyway, loved it kept making it that way, it became a standard recipe. So this is very, it's like a classic, like no-brainer pairing. You get like a Belgian, really fruity, fruit-forward Belgian double with a nice salty washed rind cheese. Oh yeah, this is good. Good thing we had one keg of this left. <laughs> <laughs> it's true, this is a, oh, yeah. that is, the... That's some super funk right there. Mm -hmm. It's gonna smell like feet. That's Brevi bacterium, bee linens. It's the same bacteria that is on your feet. It is salty, it is bold, it is big. And this beer is a beer that I made with our old friend Jonathan Moxie. You might remember him from Car Talk with Jonathan Moxie on Ferment About episode, I don't remember what. Um, <clears throat> uh, he's starting his own brewery, uh, or well, he's a new brewer at a, at a brewery called Rockwell, but at the time we made this beer together, he was still at Perennial Artisanal Ales in St. Louis. And... Uh, this is a Belgian dark strong uh, tribute to one of our favorite Belgian beers, Oer beer, uh, which means the original beer, right? The original one. Hey guys, we had a little bit of trouble with the audio here, so uh, it got cut off when we were explaining which cheese we're trying now. So it's the Murray's Cavemaster Reserve Annalise. It's a raw cow's milk cheese uh, made by Walter Rass in northern Switzerland's uh, Penzel Valley and named after his wife. Uh, it's sent to Murray's aged for three months and then they age it for an additional nine months in the Alpine cave. I want to ask about, so this is the kind of cheese that has those little crystals in it. I love this question. Tell me about the crystals because I've had this explained to me multiple times and I can never remember. So Cool. <laughs> so through the process of cheese ripening, if you leave a cheese to age, what happens is there are crystallization in different, in two different characters, I'm sorry, two different varieties. So there's a calcium lactate crystal that forms. There's also tyrosine. So tyrosine is an amino acid, which are building blocks of proteins. And so as protein chains are being broken down over time, 
you're leaving tyrosine behind and it has nothing left to do but just sit there and crystallize. So people like to think this is a salt, which I think it can technically be characterized as a salt if it crystallizes. Is that the characterization of like salt? I chemical, I don't know, I have to look it up again. Like the chemical uh, definition. Yeah. We'd have to look it up, but. I think we might have to look that one up, but there's been some debate about whether this is a salt or not. I know a, a very smart chemist told me that it is technically a salt, but some other people say it's not. However, tyrosine is not really widely understood in terms of cheese making for kind of obvious reasons that you can't get a microscope in cheese while it's aging. It kind of defeats the purpose of tyrosine breaking down if it has, you know, oxygen hitting it, if it has room to move because you're putting something in there, it's dark in there, you can't see what's going on. So tyrosine is still we still have a lot to learn about it, but that's what it is. It's tyrosine crystals, and it's not necessarily flavorful. Actually, if you chew on them, it's kind of bitter. But, they're but pretty, I feel like they're pretty small, though, in this. Yeah, they, so, yeah. yeah. In this particular cheese, they are small. Um, you'll get larger chunks of them in, like, Parmesan, things that are aged for a lot longer, um, like 24, 36, 50-month-aged Parmesans. They're going to be, like, everywhere. Um, but also, the calcium lactate that I talked about, is uh, typically found in Swiss cheeses. So if you ever see in the eyes, you see like those little white dots, that's what that is. And also when you talk about calcium um, lactate, you're talking about the white. So that white is not mold, it's um, leftover calcium on the top. And you're pointing to the uh, Willoughby. I am pointing to the Willoughby, yeah. So the, uh, since you can't see this, it's sticky and tacky and orange on the Willoughby, but on here there's spots of white and it looks like it's dried out salt. Um, there could be a little bit of salt, but that's, it's not, it's uh, another crystallization. It's just yeah. a very small crystallization. To me, it looks like a, just flour on like a pita. Yeah, it looks like someone like left a little bit of flour behind on like a rising bread dough. Yeah. It's a good description. But yeah, Annalise is another weekend cheese. All, all of these cheeses are a weekend cheese <laughs> for me. This is even, a, even the Willoughby? Even the Willoughby. When you, if you pick this cheese up, I picked it up and it's still, it's still like funky on my fingers. I actually accidentally spilled a drop of this on a shirt one time, like as I was teaching a class, and I smelled like just Willoughby like the rest of the night, and I was like, "What is that foot smell?" And I was like, "Oh no, that's me." <laughs> you got any cheesemongers um, uh, tips on how to get cheese smells out of clothing? <laughs> Wash. <laughs> So what are we pairing this uh, cheese with? So we're going to pair this cheese with a Cezanne. We're going to try something fun and new, new for me, um, just based off of my time spent eating beer and cheese for a living. I think this might be cool. I think this might be a cool pairing. Can you tell me about the beer a little bit so I can... This beer is named Three Little Words, and it is uh, dedicated to the zest and life of Sonny Rollins' performance on Three Little Words. And uh, it is made uh, with Saison uh, Steen's Monster, a yeast uh, kind of hybrid, uh, genetic hybrid that uh, Omega put together, kind of a cross between a Belgian yeast strain and a, and a French yeast strain. So it has the dryness of a, and, and acidity of a, of a French Saison strain while also maintaining a lot of fruity characters from, from the Belgian strain. Um, and we added a bushel's worth of lemon zest at Flame Out, so we get a little zing from that. That kind of dances uh, with, with all of that. Um, it's about 70% Pilsner, 30% oats and wheat, and it is 6.8% ABV. Lovely. So I tried this. I think they work really well together. 
So what we I want you guys to try with this is called the milkshake method. So you I know you've probably been doing it already, and I know it sounds a little gross, but take the cheese and like like get it really melty in your mouth, and then drink the beer, and then I want to know what you think because I I love it. Man, that is cranking. I, yeah, it's really great. And I like that there's... This might be my favorite pairing yet. So good. I'll, I'm actually going to do... I'll do some Instagram stories that illustrate some of the cheeses that we're talking about awesome. so that people can know what they're looking for. And I'll leave those up as a, um, as a highlight. Awesome. From where? From what Instagram? Instagram. What Instagram? Oh, what? from Men About It. How do you spell that? F-U-H-M-E-N-T-A-B-O-U-D-I-T. I'm following. Right? I'm going gonna, gonna to follow right when now. When I told people what I was doing tonight... They tried to look it up, and it was hard for them. <laughs> this left. cheese is so good. It looks like we have a cheddar. So this one, which is definitely cloth-bound, yes, correct? that is cloth-bound. I'm going to come over there and, and chunk it. So I'm okay. gonna get what is cloth-bound? Good question. Wait, hang on. So a cloth-bound is any cheese that is wrapped in cheesecloth and or a food-grade cheesecloth. So what we do is we actually, this is the only cheese that Murray's makes from start to finish. We typically age other people's cheeses. We developed this recipe with Cornell. This is super local. And what we do is we take it, and when the wheels are a little bit dehydrated and they're like blocks, they're actually cylinders, we take them and we wrap them in a food-grade cheesecloth and coat them with lard, and then we age them in our caves for 12 months. And what kind of, this is cow's milk? It's cow's milk. It's delicious. I so like this, your slice style. Let's talk wait, about this. It's a very stabby, twisty method of slicing. So this is called chunking. So actually, I thought it was called scabby twisty, but <laughs> it's a scabby twisty. So what's fun about cheddar is that not only is it a style of cheese, it's also a verb. So you are cheddaring a cheese when you are making cheddar. So what that means is that when you take curds and you chop them up really finely, you salt them and then you press them together in blocks, and then you chop them up and you do it again and you press them on top of one another. So what that does is it the salt on the surface of the curd, you're increasing the surface area that the salt is hitting, drains out the water a lot quicker through osmosis, and then you're leaving these curd structures behind that chunk and fall apart really beautifully, so you can kind of see where they fell into one another, but never really combined, because the water activity was happening so quickly to dehydrate the cheese that the curds just kind of like fell and like like Lego block together, and then now you can just pull them apart really easily. So that's why cheddars are super beautiful. Buy a pound of it, leave the cloth on and just chunk it. It's gorgeous, it's a really gorgeous display and then people can just pick it up with their hands. So here you go. Yeah, that is one thing I've, I did not know. I mean, I didn't know why That's people chunked them. the one thing you learned tonight? Well, no, 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 <laughs> I've learned a lot actually, but but I've been into cheese, but that this is one thing like that I've never, yeah. I mean, I knew what cheddar was, but I never thought about the chunking of it. And I always wonder that, because I've been to lots of parties and events where they, yeah, they chunk it. They, they chunk, you gotta chunk your cheese. Yes. Let's go big IPA on this one. It's a big, bold, cheesy flavor. What I love about this cheese is that it's like a baked potato with a little bit of chive and sour cream and bacon. And then you get like these beautiful, warm, like mustard green notes towards the end of the cloth, but also like fudge and like graham cracker and Ovaltine. There's just so much flavor going on in this that it needs something to balance it. It's a pretty big beer, we'll mm. see. I like it. This cheddar is incredible. I know, right? Stocking Hall. So Stocking Hall is a hall in Cornell. 
I'm not allowed to say what it used to be called. <laughs> this beer is called Tale of the Comet. It's a big IPA that we dry hop with Comet hops. Mm. About 8.5%. 8. 8.8%. 8.8%. Uh, kind of a throwback. Like we did like, uh, it's a like West Coast-ish IPA. Uh, some crystal malt in there. Uh, hit with um, some Cascade, some Zithos, some uh, Centennial. Is this Centennial? Maybe not Centennial. It's funny. I m- we make a lot of beer and then like six weeks pass and I don't <laughs> remember where we put it. Five, five classic varieties. Yeah, double dry hopped with, with Comet. What do you guys so think? The Comet of the is the showcase in this one. I've never really dealt with that that beer before. I mean that that hop before, but you never dealt with the Comet hop until this beer. Right. right. What made you want to try this this hop? Well, I heard good things. I heard it was a, had had some characteristics of, of the classic sea hops. Who told you? Uh, the people, the they, <laughs> the they. I think they're a group in Oregon. I'm not sure. That's really cool. And I actually I did not intrigued. know of Comet hop until this discussion. So. This is a discussion. <laughs> this is a discussion. So Chris and I, the whole IPA thing. So, yes, IPAs are really hot right now. I think we've talked about this right before. Yeah. For a while. For a long so time. so hot right now. Yes. But they continue. And, of course, the ever-popular hazy New England-style IPA is especially popular because we have 15 draft lines at our, in our tasting room. We're pretty lucky in that we can do a lot of styles of IPA. So we have five or six IPAs on right now. And they're all different styles. Um, Which, by the way, thank you from the bottom of my heart for doing that because I'm really sick of drinking cloudy hot messes in a glass. It's just it's a little old. I'm sorry to every beer maker out there. Please stop it. Well, it's good. I think it's good. Like you know, we have a New England style IPA on yeah. right now. Actually, two. So Tale of the Comet is is brilliantly clear with like a kind of a copper hue. Old school. Old school. Yeah. But people like it, it's a man. Throwback. It's always interesting to see what we make and then what sells in our tasting room. We do sell a small amount of beer outside the tasting room, but it, I'm always fascinated by the beers that I predict might not be as popular, like Lavender Saison, for instance. Ooh. No, people loved no, it. it was great. I tried that when you did that, and you were like, oh, I'm going to do this for Mother's Day. And we talked about, like, well, lavender's a really harsh flavor if you use too much of it. And I think you only did, like, a day. like you Less than 24-hour yeah. dry hop kind of thing. Yeah, I thought that was amazing. And it turned out fantastic, by the way. I remember that beer. It's memorable, that beer. It's cool, though, to see. I think it's it's awesome to be a beer drinker today, but also to be a brewer today, because especially when we ha- when we, you have your own tasting room, um, in that you're able to make a lot of styles and, and able to, you know, you can go to any, to a beer store, even like around here, you can go to a lot of bodegas, Whole Foods, like, any kind of store that has a decent beer selection. And there are so many choices that we didn't have 10 years ago. I mean, you could drink. Five years ago. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's cool. I would say the same for cheese, to be honest with you. Oh, I'm seeing sure. a lot more, um, like when I just go, like I'm out meetings, I'm out in the city all day. I go and I pop in a bodega and I see like a really great cheese selection. And it gets me really excited because, you know, I work in wholesale. You know, I've got to make money. But <laughs> at the same time, I'm excited because the more people, everyday people that are going and getting like wraps and salads and working in nine to five see like Pyrenee Brebis and like really good cloth bound cheddars that you can just get quarter pound slices of or portions of, the more likely they are going to order that on a menu, thus increasing the world of cheese knowledge and cheese experience, which I'm really happy about. And I think really people are just open to all kinds of flavors and and tastes and aromas right now, right? They're, they're, we're, I think, America, the American palate is wider than it's ever been. I completely agree with you. I completely agree. 
That's awesome. Uh, All right, we have one, the blue. One, oh, one cheese blue. left on the table. So this particular cheese is Point Reyes Bay Blue. And for anyone in California or has been to California or has been to Point Reyes, they can tell you how gorgeous it is. Um, this is also, I'd say, almost all female-owned company. I think there's one male left, and I think it's their dad. But um, two sisters run it, and they are actually trying to achieve, like, full level of green um, within their company. They actually have their own, like, methane trap, which they use from the cows. They get, like, 40% of their power from the methane. They have sustainable practices. They half-graze, then they half-drive hay feed. Um, they're just an incredible company. They send us green cheese that we also age in our caves, and then, like, in turn, we buy their blue cheese, and this is just one of my favorite blue cheeses. I think it most closely represents, like, maybe the most American Stilton style ever, maybe with a little bit more bluing. Um, do you guys like blue cheese? Oh, yes. Yes! <laughs> Good. So I only had blue cheese for the first time last year because uh, I've just been like, oh, it looks so funny. It's literally moldy cheese. Um, but, like, it has an incredible oh, flavor and funk, um, and I'm very excited. Right. Although this cheese cuts way easier than I was expecting. You're using a plastic knife. I am. It's very fudgy. It's very high in moisture. Moisture. Sorry, I just had to say that. Blue cheese is often like that, though, right? Some, you know what? It, it can be either crumbly and dry or pretty typically on the, the moisture side. <laughs> I am torturing everybody right now. Um, so blue cheese becomes blue cheese by the piercing of the paste with aluminum needles. This does not inject blue mold into it. What it does is it creates airflow for the blue mold to grow and attach to. So you're actually inoculating the milk before it's coagulated with rennet with blue mold cultures. And then as the mold takes it with it into the curd, they then rub the outside with salt, dry salt typically, and then they leave it out to dry for a little bit, and then they'll pierce it with needles so that it increases airflow. So the more you pierce it, the heavier the bluing. The less you pierce it, the less blue it's going to be. Um, but this particular cheese is pretty high in moisture. It's only about, like, three months old, and it has this gorgeous natural rind on it, a lot of really beautiful, like, almost Roquefort-style um, mold structure. It's going to look like parsley. Um, but let's, let's eat it. Let's try it. And I know you mentioned trying this with the Belgian double before. I'd love to see how it tastes. So I just poured us that to start with. Awesome, yeah, let's try it. Mm. Yeah, man. That's gorgeous. Yeah, I agree. Because you're getting all, like, it's, it's almost like a port in that essence. What other beers do you pair blue cheese with? That's a really good question, and it's kind of hard to say. It really depends on the blue cheese, and it really depends on the beer. I really try and not stick to anything too alcoholic. A lot of people want to go, like, I'm going to go Imperial Stout, and I want to get, like, the Goose Island Bourbon County tastes like chocolate syrup, and you're, like, I get it. Like, that's a really, that's a, a pairing I would, I would go to if I didn't try that already, but... I've tried a lot of different pairings of blue cheeses, and if you go too alcoholic, you're getting a lot of burn. And when you combine a really hefty, very like salty, a lot of flavor going on in your mouth right now, right? You're not gonna eat like a whole wheel of this. You're gonna have like little nibbles of this. This is a dessert cheese. You don't wanna have anything that's gonna overpower it too much because all you're gonna be left with is just like a mouthful of booze and no other flavor. 
So I would say a Belgian double, maybe a really gorgeous, like, like sweet chocolate porter. Something that's going to be like I actually want to say like more English style porters than American style because we tend to be typically heavy handed on hops when it comes to porter, um, like Sam Smith the oatmeal oatmeal stout and the the Sam Smith porter would be really good with this. Um, but other than that, yes, try and stick to sweeter beers when it comes to blue cheese pairing because you're just going to overpower the cheese with alcohol and hop and it's not going to be good. This is a really smooth and creamy blue. This is, is. might be one of my favorite blues. Like, <clears throat> Mary is a is a blue freak. Her hair is even blue right now, but uh, I have not ever really, really always craved blue cheese. Like, I like it fine. I love it. I mean, I, I mean, I like it. Not, I'm not as much of a Mary as an enthusiast. Like, she's crazy about it. Oh, like blue cheese in like French and like uh, like French bread and yeah. with a little bit of honey and maybe some like dried fruit. I can just eat like. A lot of it. So for you, so for you, the blue cheese is more about the the pairing aspects of it. Like if you pair it with something sweet and something that's going to complement it, that's when you can sit down and have a bunch of it. Yeah, because the blue. I mean, still, even though, yeah, because I love. I mean, I love blue cheese, but it does. Well, your palate. I think you know why because your palate gets fatigued, right? And then it doesn't taste so beautiful anymore. It just tastes like. You know, it's a, it becomes this gray zone. So if you kind of cleanse your palate with like a little bit of honey or you know something sweet maybe a nice beer, some fr French bread, then that kind of reju like resets your palate and I, you can enjoy more blue cheese. I completely agree with you. <laughs> um, the biggest question I get asked when I, after I teach classes, people come up to me all the time and they ask me like pretty th much the three same questions. I'm having a party, I don't know how to pair. And I'm like, well, we just did a pairing and we talked about this. So what I like to say to people is like, listen, what would you want to eat? Like, what would you want to drink with this? Like, if you're looking at a menu and you see blue cheese in the salad, and you're like, oh, I'm really hungry, and I want this, like, really, it's endive salad with, like, some blue cheese, which is, like, pretty standard. What else is on that salad? There's, like, what, candied walnuts, typically? There's going to be sweeter elements, dried fruit. Take those pairing principles that you've already seen in all of your menus that you look at when you go out to eat and apply that to a cheese plate. Just deconstruct them and see what it is about that that you like. Do you like the candied walnut aspect of it? Okay, maybe you'll like a really good marsala. Maybe something that has a little bit less sweetness, but a little more of like raisiny, like walnutty, you know, really gorgeous, sweet. Oh, I don't know another way to put it. Like when you're walking down the street and you have like those roasted chestnuts, you know what I mean? Like that, that kind of thing. Like that's what I want to pair with blue cheese all the time. Something really sweet. Um, what do you typically have with a brie? Is it fresh apples? Is that what you typically see at a restaurant? That's going to make a good pairing. Fresh with fresh, like with like, opposites attract, terroir, go regional. Like these are all really cool pairing principles and like standard pairing principles that it shouldn't be too hard, but I think it overwhelms people. So especially with blue cheese, Play it safe more than often than not. Go for the sweeter dried foods. Go for the sweeter beers. Not too alcoholic, but like play it safe and your palate will thank you for it. Awesome. This has been great fun and very delicious. Yeah, uh, I just wanted to ask one more thing. Uh, when we were talking earlier, uh, you mentioned something about uh, the difference between being uh, someone who deals with cheese and brewers versus uh, when you were in the brewing world. Oh, yeah, I was talking about um, my relationship with, with brewers that I respected but was too, like, nervous to talk to. Um, when I was in the beer world, I think that, I think anyone can really, I think this happens in a lot of different 
careers and job and like you know like if you're in finance it might be hard to go up to like a big guy in finance because like mm -hmm. they think they want something from you and like I feel like the obvious insecurity about that is yes I do want something from you I want knowledge I want a partnership I want to learn from you and having been in the beer background I think I was a little more hesitant to like message Chris and be like hey can I come by what's up but like now that I have a big bag of cheese I can come into a place with <laughs> it's much easier for me to be like hey I have food you know like let's do some food and cheese parent like food and cheese and beer and everything let's do events you know like let's have a good time together and I think that the, the marriage of cheese and beer is I think incredibly classic um, don't tell us to anyone else. Sorry, I'm actually saying this on a podcast. But I, I love wine and cheese. I think it's a very classic pairing. But for me, beer is, like, hands down the better pairing for cheese than wine is. I think there's more intentional flavor in beer. I think there's more intentional flavor in cheese. And I think that they go very well together and the bubbles don't hurt. So, yeah, it's just it's easier to walk into a bar with a bag of cheese or a tasting room with a bag of cheese and talk to a brewer and be like, here's some cheese, let's work together. In the past, it wasn't as easy because they thought I wanted something professionally from them. But I still do. Oh yeah, do you have any um, events yeah. coming up that you want uh, to promote or anything? Um, I mean, personally or professionally? Either. Um, professionally speaking, uh, you know, I teach classes pretty often. I'm actually teaching a class next Sunday. It's a cider. Uh, and she's pairing class. I'm actually teaching the cider part of it, which is something I'm getting into lately is uh, cider making. Um, other than that, uh, you know, just if you want to look up cheese events or any classes that are going on, Murray'sCheese.com is great. There's an education tab. Um, there's an events tab. It's just really easy to look this stuff up. We are always doing events, especially with brewers and local brewers, and I hope we get you in there someday to do maybe an Industry Monday or a totally class. Maybe we can do an Industry Monday. Yes. You want to do one soon? Yes. Cool, because I want to do a Halloween candy and cheese pairing with Perfect. beer. I'm doing Great. A beer and candy pairing this month too. Let's cool. Do it. So anyone in the industry that's listening to this right now, there is an industry Monday. It's on October October twenty second, Industry Monday. It's at Bleaker Shop at Murray's Cheese. I will be hosting it. I'll be running it, and hopefully I can get you in there. I'm down. Awesome. So yeah, we're gonna do that together. Yes. Yay! The two p.m. Awesome. Well, that's it for this week. We will be back next week with a show on pulque and some international fermented beverages. So we'll talk to you then. Do you need cheese? Foment about it. Foment about it. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening. Wall with no end on the banks of forgiveness. You clutch to your burden.